Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Week three of our Onward Sermon series. Uh, we uh, talked about, very first week, we talked about Onward Into Calling, Onward into the calling that God has called each of us into. Then last week we talked about how do we move on after victory. Something that's super, super important. I think lots of times we take for granted that after victory, everybody knows how to move on, right? It's victory. Woohoo! But if we don't move on from victory correctly, we get into really, really dangerous territory. And one of those things that we most often find ourselves engulfed in is sin. Can I get an amen? No, because nobody actually wants to admit that they've struggled with that, right? But that's the problem. When we're high on our horse, when we're coming off a victory, it is so easy to let down our guard. It's so easy to relax. And when we relax, the enemy is really good at sneaking in, right? And so today, we are going to talk about how do we move on after sin? That's what we're moving onward from today. And you'll notice we look at a familiar character, right? The character of David. The same character who brought us onward after victory, fresh off of his battle with Goliath, right? And now we read about David's biggest sin. Actually, in my Bible, right before we get to the story of Bathsheba, the heading on my Bible says Bathsheba, David's great sin. I mean, let's appreciate for just a moment if somebody's going around chronicling your life, right? And then they come up with whatever it is, Jeremy's great sin. Oh boy, that's going to be a good one, right? All the tabloids are writing about that. But that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we move on after sin? And Dave, David gives us some keys to how we do that. Oh, how the church hates talking about sin today. Now, careful, careful, careful. Because, guys, as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times I hear, we need to get back to teaching that hell's hot and sin is sin. Y'all heard it, right? Some of you have probably said it. And you're right, but here's what I have noticed. We love talking about sin as long as it's not my sin, right? We love talking about sin as long as it's somebody else's. In fact, sometimes it's even better, right? Because you sit there, and you're sitting, y'all, you're sitting here in church, and I say something, and you think, oh boy, I hope Betsy's paying attention. Hey, Betsy, did you hear what Pastor just said? Right? And we start, we get, we start, oh, we just get arrows. There's more arrows in the quiver, more arrows, because I don't struggle with that sin, but I know somebody who does, right? We love talking about sin when it's not ours. We've got half of the church over here wants to chide Christians. You know, we got we to gotta tell Christians it's a sin to judge other people. 
right? The Bible says to love, and we love unconditionally. We don't cast judgment. Then we've got the other side of Christians that say, no, Jesus Jesus has sexual ethics. It's in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. You can't get away from it. And they're both right. And they're both wrong. Because here's the deal. Somewhere along the lines we have implied that I can't believe in one while believing in the other, right? But guys, God doesn't do politics. Did you know that? We do politics, right? And when you're part of a political party, especially today, it never used to be like this, but today, doggone it, you believe in every stance of that political party or you believe in none of it. There's no such thing as moderate anymore. There is no in the middle. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, you know, like, yes, I'm all, I'm all over here, and if, if we're doing this, we can't do that. That's not what he says, because God sits over top of all of it. God is above it all, and he invites you, Christian, to be there with him. Because guess what? Politics were created by sinful man. So every, guys, there's no such thing as a perfect political party. There's no such thing as a perfect political system. It doesn't exist because it's a creation of man. There will be someday, right? Jesus is going to come back and he's going to sit on the throne. And at that moment, there will be a perfect government. But until then, we've got to deal with an imperfect government, which means we as Christians need to stay above it. We can't get so entrenched in it that we only see one way. We've got to stay above it so that we can critique it, right? So if I'm over on this side of the political aisle, I can say, look, I I believe in this stuff, but I don't think we do this right. I would like to see us do this different. And we should be able to do that. Unfortunately, our current climate today doesn't even allow that. As soon as you start to question, get them out. What? You don't like Trump? Get out. What? You didn't vote for Biden? Get out. But that's not where God sits. Because God says, I didn't vote for either of them. I made them both, and I love them both equally. And I love the people that they govern equally. But he expects Christians to be able to be high enough above it to be able to help critique both sides. Right? In the middle of this culture war that we are in, we have forgotten that everyone is a sinner right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 3.23. So we have all sinned. We're all flawed. But here's what's crazy. There is an option out there. I love the book of 1 John gives us this option. There is a choice for Christians to not sin. He tells us that we can live a life without sinning. But we've got to stay in step with the Spirit. Now, can I ask you real quickly, is there anyone here who says, I've stayed in step perfectly with the Spirit my entire life? It's hard, right? And so there are bumps in the road. And part of this sermon is that we've got to figure out how to move on past those bumps. Because if we don't, if those bumps swallow us, like those potholes in Toledo, right? If they swallow you, you're toast, and you get stuck, right? We as Christians can't get stuck. We can't get stuck after victory. 
But we also can't get stuck after defeat, and we can't get stuck after sin. We read Paul's account of himself. We read it this morning as he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And then we read of our beloved hero, David. But remember what we said about heroes last week, right? We read about him and his great sin. But we have something super interesting in the Bible to help us work through this that we don't have many other places. And so for our teaching today, we are actually going to turn to Psalm 51. So we've we read the story. This is, this is the event. Psalm 51 is what David writes after he has this big slip-up with Bathsheba. Now listen, we've got to be so careful, church. There is a trend going on right now, and it is a dangerous one. Because our Western culture is so into feelings. We love, tell me if you've ever heard the sermon or if you've heard the podcast or whatever, read the book, but we love projecting feelings on Bible characters, right? Well, when Jesus was healing the 5,000, he was probably really anxious, wondering whether God would show up or not. Where does it say that? But because we are so into touchy-feely and what was, what was he feeling? During, you know, my wife does that to me all the time. She walks out of the room so I can talk about her. But, but you know, I'll come home from a meeting after I just met with somebody, and she'll say, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, what was he feeling when you guys were having this conversation? Jana, I don't know. I, I didn't ask, and guys don't talk about that stuff. Hey, what, what were you feeling just now when you and I had that interact? We don't talk about it, but we get into this trap. Because it's so popular, we project feelings into characters of the Bible. Well, what was Mary feeling when, Joseph, or when Jesus was hanging up there on that cross? The Bible doesn't tell us. It's safe to assume sad. But guys, where the Bible is silent, we should stay silent. If it was that important, for us to know what Mary was feeling, God would have put it in his word, and he didn't. And look, is it the worst thing in the world to say Mary was probably pretty sad when Jesus was hanging on the cross? No, but we come up with these entire books about it, and we write these big essays about how David was feeling when he slayed Goliath. The word doesn't tell us that, so you will never hear a sermon like that here at the Gospel House. We're not going to preach on feelings that aren't in the Bible, but... Today we are, because David gives us Psalm 51. God, in his goodness, in his omnipotence, he gives us Psalm 51, which we don't have anywhere else in the Bible. It is so unique. We're told David, is Psalm 51, in the heading it says, a psalm written by David after Samuel talked to him about his sin with Bathsheba. You want to know what he's feeling? He's about to give it to you. So unlike anywhere else in the Bible, we actually have what David is feeling in this exact moment. We don't have to put words in God's mouth, right? Do you guys know, you guys remember those Mad Libs? You know, where you read through, all right, give me a noun, right? This isn't a Mad Lib, right? There are no blanks, which means you don't get to fill them in. If the word doesn't tell you something, that's not a blank that you get to fill in, right? So please, if you're out there, if you 
preach, teach, Bible study, whatever you do, stop filling in blanks that God didn't intend to be filled in. The Word of God tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He was not a man after God's own heart because he was perfect, right? We know this. But he was a man after God's own heart because he was repentant. He knew how to move onward from sin. And so that's what we're going to learn about. He did it this way, three ways. David knew where he came from. David knew where he was, or who he was, and David knew where he was going. And so if we are to move onward from sin, we have to know those three things as well. I want to put out a little caution here. Please do not use the fact that God uses sinners to stay in your sin. Did you hear me? I've seen the fa- Facebook theology is garbage, y'all, so be careful with it. You know the post, you've seen the post on Facebook. David was an adulterer, Moses was a murderer, Jacob was a liar, and it goes through all the heroes of the faith and all their deepest, darkest sins and all that stuff, and it goes through that. Here, here is the problem. It, I'm not saying it's not true, right? Those, there were those flaws in all of those people. But the problem is I have seen that used for individuals to stay in their sin. Well, I mean, if God used David and he used, you know, committed adultery, surely he can use me and I can look at porn every once in a while. Stop. Stop. Ne- number one, never, ever, ever are you allowed to use someone else's sin to justify your own. The Bible does not teach that anywhere, so stop. But number two, just because he's a Bible character and it's in the Bible, well, David had multiple wives, I can, guys, stop. Stop. Because if you read the story of David, I mean, if you actually read the story of David, how did that multiple wives thing work out for him? Not real great, right? In fact, I would argue if you go back through and look at every character who had multiple wives, it didn't end real well. God's telling us, hey, this multiple wives thing, y'all, remember in the garden when I said one man, one woman, and it was just the two? That's the best way. When you try to do it other ways, it gets really jacked up. And we see example after example after example of that as we go through the scriptures. But we have to stop using these stories as a way to stay camped in our sin, right? It's hard enough to cut that head off the giant. We talked about that last week. When you're called to kill sin, you got to kill it all the way. Stop trying to find excuses to let it hang around. Because what that ends up being that ends up being us camping out in where we came from. This is the first step of the gospel. This is the first step of how we move on after sin. But the danger that we have in this is that we can, if we're not careful, stay here. And we're not called to stay where we came from. David opens Psalm 51 with this. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. David is echoing the rest of the Bible here, and he is proclaiming the first step of the gospel. We already said it, Romans 3.23. All 
have sinned. Everyone. We're going to get into this uh, in a couple weeks. I was talking to Mark Hecklinger about this because he's going to be preaching in a couple weeks. We're doing child dedications. We're talking about the nuances between child dedication and infant baptism. We do not believe in infant baptism here at the Gospel House. We do believe in original sin. You get, so in some churches, especially more traditional churches, you get this clash, right? If there's original sin, then why aren't you baptizing the baby? Because we've got to wash that original sin away, right? We at the Gospel House believe baptism is a choice, right? If I'm going to go be baptized, I have to make that choice, and an infant is incapable of making that choice to follow Jesus. An infant, while, you know, David says it right here, you know, in sin, I was conceived. My mother conceived me. And so he's talking about that original sin. But we have to be aware, our God is a good God, right? He is a just God. So does it sound like a good and just God that he is going to send people to hell before they have a decision to make a decision for Christ, before they mature to that age? We don't think so, so that's why we don't baptize infants. We don't see it as a salvation step. We see it as a step of obedience to Jesus. You can't be obedient if you don't know what you're doing, right? That's why we don't do it. But what David is saying here, every single one of us have sinned. All of us, no exception. And we can never forget this. Guys, we cannot forget this. Because the moment that you forget that you are a sinner saved by grace, you become an arrogant jerk. Prove me wrong. Find someone who has forgotten that they are a sinner saved by grace, and I promise you will find an arrogant jerk. Because we get conceited. We forget that, is, that it is grace that has brought us this far. And so we think that it's something of our own doing. But here's the other side of that coin. We also can't live here. We can't stop. and We, like, we don't even want to pitch a tent in where we used to be, right? You're not there anymore, so move on. The other trend that we tend to get into, I've, I've seen this a lot recently in church circles, but we can glorify our past, right? And so, you know, in order to become more relevant, we sit up here and we talk about, oh man, the keggers I used to go to, and I used to get so smashed, and oh, nobody could outdrink me. Are you, you, are you bragging about Jesus, or are you bragging about the sin in your life? You know, we get caught up in this idea, well, if I make the sin bigger, and so you've got people who are deliberately straight up lying about their testimony, making it bigger, because, man, if my testimony's greater, Jesus is going to look all the greater, right? Guys, God doesn't need your help to look any greater than he already is. Stop glorifying your past. You know, Paul actually talks about this in Romans 6. I love Romans 6 because Paul goes through all these rhetorical questions, right? I love Paul's, Paul, Paul comes across to me as kind of sarcastic. I think I like that because that's my love language. And so when he kind of comes across that way, it's like, oh, yeah, all right, I'm not the only one. That makes me feel kind of good. But Paul says, he says, hey, guys, what are we doing here? Are you telling me that we should sin even more so that God's grace can be greater? No, no. And he goes through these rhetorical questions. What, you're telling me that because of the law, like, so, so what, we should throw out the law and just sin all we want? No, because it's trashing God's grace. You don't need to glorify your sin, past, present, or future, in order to make God look greater. 
Let him be great on his own. Trust your life to be the testimony and trust him to speak through that, not through the sin that you walked through. But we also can't forget where we came from and the danger of going back there. And that's the important thing that we as Christians remember. And that's the step of the gospel. You guys have heard it here before, you'll hear it again. We say, I can't, but Jesus did and will through the Holy Spirit in me, right? This whole thing, all of it, is to push a greater dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Because ladies and gentlemen, if God tomorrow decided, you know what? I just, I don't want my Holy Spirit down there anymore. Holy Spirit, come on home, we're done. And the Holy Spirit, zoop, gone. We're all back in sin. Every single one of us. I don't care how good you think you are. On your own, you're not going to get there. That's what's so dangerous when we talk about these end times and the great tribulation and all that stuff. You know, I, don't, I tend not to get into the timeline stuff. People like to fight over that and, you know, knock each other out and MMA stuff. But I, I, I just don't really care. My, my whole stance on end times is I'm going to live in such a way that when God's ready to take me home, he's going to take me home. And if that's at the beginning, if that's in the middle, if that's at the end, whatever it is, I'm here to do his will and I'm going to do it to the very end. But that's one of the problems that we get into that, you know, after the rapture and God takes his people off the earth and all that stuff, you know, there's questions on whether or not the Holy Spirit will be active during that time. And so the problem that we have is that right now, if the Holy Spirit is pulled away from me and I don't have access to the power of God living in me, I am right back to step one. I am right back to where I was. So I cannot forget, again, it's talk is humility. I cannot forget that the only reason I am here is because I am a sinner who is saved by the radical grace of Jesus Christ. And I have the Holy Spirit walking before me, behind me, beside me, all around me. The blessing by Carrie Job, all those, right? And I have that power of the Holy Spirit so that I can hold on to him, he's holding on to me, and I can live a sin-free life as I walk by him and his power. But the second I stop, the second he stops, whatever it is, I'm right back. And I can't forget that. You can beat yourself up over it, right? That's living there, right? Saying, oh man, I'm not good enough, Jesus. I'm not good enough. I'm gonna stay down here and grovel. And That's camping out in where you used to be. Don't stay there. But move on in humility, recognizing that if the Holy Spirit, if you were to step out, that you're right back to where you started. You've got to stay plugged in. Because what that does, if you look back and you see that and you're reminded of your daily dependence, is it stirs, stirs up thankfulness in your heart, causes you to be thankful for where you are, causes you to praise God for all that he has done to deliver you from, and it always reminds you of where you are. I think it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He's got a really good quote. I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember it exactly. But he said, I'm not the man I used to, or I'm not the man I should be. Uh, I'm not the man, I, I can't remember, something like that. But praise God, I'm not the man I used to be. And it's such a great encapsulation of where we are as Christians. A lot of people forget that when they talk about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that he was at first a pastor. 
And so everything that he fought for, we, we like to talk, you know, everybody likes to go to him, you know, for racial equality and all of that. Never forget, though, y'all, because the world has forgotten, and they won't tell you this. He fought from the gospel. His reasons for justifying racial equality and for fighting for racial equality were from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why he fought. Don't you dare let the world tell you different because they don't like to tell you that thing in the school textbooks anymore. They, they like to pretend that he was just fighting for this stuff for no reason, but he fought from the gospel. Don't forget that. Another Martin Luther, though, the first Martin Luther, the German reformer Martin Luther, also a pastor, he coined this Latin phrase, though I'd be surprised if he were the one who came up with it, because it is the gospel in a nutshell. It says, simul justice et peccator, and what it means is simultaneously just and sinner, and that is who you are. That is who Christians are. Well, hold on a second, pastor. I'm a child of God. This is typically where people put up their dukes and they want to fight. Because, you know, there's the new creation camp. I'm a new creation. I don't struggle with those things anymore. And then there's real people who are over here and like, yeah, man, I, it, this, is, this is a work. It's hard. You know, I've got daily, I've got to surrender these things. And so, you, you, can you tell where I am? <laughs> I don't put a whole lot of faith in the new creation camp. Not that I don't believe I am a new creation, but I am immediately sanctified when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But I am progressively being sanctified as I walk with him. Which means there is junk on me that he is constantly brushing off. I told you all this a couple weeks ago. If I go more than two days without God telling me that I'm screwing something up, I get a little nervous in my Bible reading plan. Because the Holy Spirit is always working on me. And that's where we're at right now. Gloriously awkward, isn't it? It is. It is, this, it is this awkward, weird space between. Because in God's kingdom, we have this kingdom now where he says, my kingdom is here right now. And as you walk in him, you walk in his power. But at the same time, we have this really weird, yeah, but not yet. Because it's not completely what it's supposed to be yet. And it's constantly becoming more and more like him, as long as you're walking with him. If you're not walking with him, you're constantly going the other way and less and less like him. But Paul actually talks about this in Romans 7, and we get into this really, really juicy, weird passage. And I've had so many fun conversations with people on this one. I'm just going to read it. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what, am I do for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I would agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I, that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. Anybody confused yet? But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells within me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? 
thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Whoo! Now listen, I've heard all sorts of justification. Well, Paul's talking about the old man here. He's not talking about, you know, what God's presently doing in his life. Guys, if that's the case, it's the same thing that we read in his little thing to to, uh, Timothy when he says, I am the foremost of all sinners, right? If if that's the case, if Paul is, is reverting back and saying, this is who I used to be, but I'm not there anymore. If that's the case, then Paul, in the only time in any of his letters, had a slip up and used the wrong verb tense in the Greek. You tell me, do you think it's a slip up? Or do you think Paul is saying what he is literally saying here? Y'all know I'm a literalist, right? I'm going to take this as literally as possible. So what does this literally say? It tells me that there is a war going on around me daily, every single day, and that we're stuck in the middle of it. It tells me that there is a war going on inside of me every single day, and I am stuck in the middle of it. Which means, Christian, you must fight. Can I tell you something? If you're not fighting, you're losing the war. Well, I don't have to fight. Then you're losing. Because guys, look, Paul wrote half of the New Testament books in the Bible, right? And if he's sitting there saying, guys, daily, I have to fight this. Daily, I have to surrender this. My flesh is so strong that I have to come against it daily and remind it to get in check while I walk in the Spirit. If that's Paul talking, then the rest of us, we're not that far off, right? Now, for some of us, this is like, oh, you're saying, okay, like a breath of fresh air, right? So this, this war that I'm fighting, that's, that's a thing. Like, that's, that's really happening. Yes, it's happening. For other of us, Pastor Jeremy, I stopped listening to you when you said all that stuff at the beginning. I'm done. I'm done. But for those of you who are still fighting, continue to fight. We are in this daily fight with our flesh, our sinful nature. And remember what we said about the flesh, right? Lots of times we paint the flesh, the sin nature, to be all these awful and horrible sins. That's not what the Bible says the flesh is. It's what culture says the flesh is because it makes it easier on us. But the Bible says that the flesh is any way that is not God's. And to walk God's way, you must walk in the Spirit. You have to. It is daily dependence upon Him. That's the only way to do it. Our problem is that this absolutely destroys this self-sufficiency gospel that we try to preach in the Western culture. We try to preach this, you can do it, yay, gold stars for everybody. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says you fight daily. And you fight by surrendering to God. There's this old hymn, and I absolutely love the lyrics. My father-in-law and I disagree on this. We're going to have to fight about it later. But it says this, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Now look, maybe I just really stink as a Christian, but I need God to bind my wandering heart to him. I need it. You guys know what a fetter is? Lots of times we sing these old hymns, and here I raise my Ebenezer. It was like, dude, singing it, but I don't know what it means. Right? Same thing here. You guys know what a fetter is? They don't use them anymore, but a fetter in a jail was like the old ankle ball and chains. You know, you put the, so on a, it'd be on a jail wall, and you'd chain somebody's ankle to it, and it would only let you go so far before it stops you. And for me, I am crying out, like on my knees, Jesus, bind my heart like a fetter. I don't want freedom to roam about wherever I can go. I want you to pull me in close and only let me go as far as I can handle because I want to be true to you. Not Now listen, this is, this is sneaky. This is sneaky, and it's going to drive that dependence even more. Not because I don't want to sin, right? It's not about just sin. It's about not wanting to sin, right? It's, it, God, change my heart so that I don't even want to sin, not change my heart so I don't sin, so I don't want to sin. Because that's what God wants from us. He wants, it, he wants to push, push that grace so far, push his love so far down into us that it's not just morality. We're not just changing moral behaviors. But we're saying, God, I want to obey. I want to walk with you. I want to be obedient I want to stay away from this stuff. And so, Father, until then, bind my heart to you. Because my flesh wants to run away. My flesh wants to run to these things that it shouldn't be running to. And so I need the Holy Spirit to show me how good he truly is. And that's exactly who we are supposed to be in this strange space between utterly dependent upon God. David knew this. So look what he says in Psalm 51, starting in verse 6. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Look at what David says here. Who is doing all of the action? Come on, America. Is it David? Is David saying self-sufficiency gospel, buck up, buttercup, try harder, push stronger? He's not, is he? He's saying God will make me know wisdom because I can't get there on my own. He says that God will purify me and I will be clean because I can't get there on my own. And maybe the boldest one that he says See if you're willing to pray this one. God, break my bones so that I can rejoice. You willing to pray that? That's a pretty big prayer, isn't it? God, break my bones. It doesn't get any better from there. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. We, we get where we almost see a turn, where David almost says, I'm going to do something, right? says, let my lips, where does he say, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. It's as close to we get to, to David doing anything. And then right after he says it, he comes back and says, oh Lord, open my lips so that I may sing your praise. It's all God. It's all God. God, help me. God, help me to do this. Make me do this. Because my heart is deceitful. Because I am broken. Look, y'all, there are going to be bumps along the road. There are. This life is hard for Christians. Your Savior said that. It is going to be tough. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. But God will never turn away from a broken and contrite heart. He will never turn away from a broken spirit. Because when your spirit is broken, guess who steps in? The Holy Spirit. When you admit, God, I can't get there on my own. I can't do this. That's when his spirit steps in and says, finally, Jeremy, you're right. But I can. And he carries you the rest of the way. God, break me so that you can take complete control and ultimately get me to where you're going. The last point. We have a tendency to miss this one. I'm not going to lie to you. I've taught on Psalm 51 a lot. It is one of my favorite psalms. I relate to it. I love it. Uh, and I've taught on it a lot, and every, almost every time I teach on it, I get to the end, the last two verses, and I just read them really fast and get through with them because nobody really knows what's going on, and it's just weird. It says this, By your favor do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. We tend to miss this every time. Because as soon as the Bible starts talking about bulls and sacrifices and Zion and Jerusalem and walls, we say, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. Pfft. We're past that now. And so we miss it. But y'all, when I read it this time around, God showed me this is the key to all of it. Because this is where we're going. Why does David, in this passage, this psalm that he's writing as he's pouring out his heart after his greatest sin that he's ever committed. Why does he include this random stuff about walls in Jerusalem and Zion and sacrificing bulls? And the reason is because David knew where he was going. You aren't home yet. Did you know that? Guys, this isn't your home. Did you know that? There should be raucous, yes, when, when we say that. This isn't your home. 
you're not there yet, but you will be. And it's not going to be here. What is Zion to the Jewish people? Anytime you read through the Old Testament and they talk about Zion, what is that? It wasn't a city. It wasn't a current city, right? It was the future city of heaven. Heaven, Jesus, God dwelling with him, right? And think of who's writing this. Again, we miss this because we, you know, we've got the whole Bible, and so we're Bible scholars, and we know the whole Bible, but what David says, build the walls of Jerusalem. Y'all, when David is writing this, the walls of Jerusalem weren't broken, right? I think that, that's been my problem. When I read this, you know, go, ah, yeah, man, I've read Nehemiah. So what, David's time traveling to Nehemiah, and he's going to help build the walls back up? That's not what he's saying. All of this is saying, y'all, this isn't our home. What we are building, what God is building, what the Holy Spirit is building in me isn't for this right here. It's for our heavenly home. That is where we're going. And what is that? When David speaks of heavenly homes and going to God and, and all of that, what is that? It's an anchor, right? What have we said week after week after week after week? Is your anchor here on this earth? Or is your anchor within the veil? Is your anchor with Jesus in the Holy of Holies? Because y'all, the Holy of Holies isn't here. It's with Jesus at the right hand of God. Where is your anchor? Where are you going? Because here's the deal. This is the key to everything, y'all. If your anchor is in the right spot, if your anchor is in the right place and the right person, then you will be able to move onward from victory. That's what we said last week, right? David's anchor was in God, so he could move onward from victory. But you can also move onward from defeat. Because your anchor isn't in the victory itself, right? Even if Goliath had beat the snot out of David, David would still be a man after God's own heart because it wasn't about the victory. It was about God who was behind the victory. If your anchor is in the right spot, you'll be good to go through righteousness, but you'll also be good to go when you mess up. Because here's the thing, where your anchor is, Jesus said this, not Jeremy, there your heart will be also. He didn't say anchor, but, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, if we are so wrapped up in Jesus, I stay the same person, whether I am on top of the world or whether people think I'm the trashiest junk pile in the universe, right? I stay the same because my anchor holds. So where is your anchor? Where are you finishing this race? You know, I think about when, when you run a marathon, right? 26.2 miles, but you know where you're going. That makes those 26, I mean, to some people, that makes those 26.2 miles worth it. Some people are like, mm-mm, never. But here's the thing, y'all. When you run long distances, I'm going to get real graphic here on you. When you run long distances, there's something really weird that happens. You have to go to the bathroom. It just is what it is. I don't know why, but you have to go to the bathroom. 
and it's weird because they don't have porta potties lined up the entire 26.2 miles, so you got to like strategically time where you're going to stop and use the restroom. But here's the thing: when you stop and use the restroom, that's not where you're going, right? Your goal wasn't to make it to porta potty stop one, right? Why are we dropping anchors in porta potties? Because that's what you're doing when you're dropping your anchor here on this world, right? Because we don't actually know where we're going. I'll take the marathon example even further. Let's say you do sin on your run. Say you break your ankle. Let's say even worse, we're going to put Jeremy on. I'm running the marathon. I just step on a stinking landmine and blow half my body off. (laughs) Done. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to bloody stump crawl your way? Are you going to wait for somebody? Listen. listen. Are you going to wait for somebody to come and pick you up and carry you the rest of the distance? Y'all, some of us are looking at these sins in our lives. Like, like it's, it's blown us off track to where we can't get back up and finish the race. Right? That's how we view these sins. Oh, I tweaked my ankle. Well, chalk it up. I'm done. Done for this one. But guys, the tweaked ankle is what God's waiting for, right? He wants me to step on the landmine because when I do, he carries me the rest of the way. He picks me up and carries me to that finish line. And I finally learn what Jesus has been trying to teach us all along, right? When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? You guys remember that in the Bible when Jesus says that? The yoke's only easy and light when I let him carry me. But when I try to do it on my own, I'll never get there. I'll never make it. We've got to let him take us. We've got to give him everything. And really, to do this, we need an understanding of this full gospel. We can't just camp out in one of these things. If we camp out in point one, where we came from, if we stay there, then we become self-loathing. We won't turn to Jesus because we don't think we're worth it. You were never worth it to begin with. And he still paid the ultimate price for you. That or we get comfortable in our sin. And doggone it, we kind of like it. And so we stay there. We glorify that sin, right? Well, Jesus' grace is going to save me. Makes it look even better, right? We cannot camp there. But we also can't camp in who we are right now at this moment. Because like we talked about, that war going on, that's exhausting. Have any of you ever fought a war? I mean, have any of you actually, I mean, you know this. How many of you have set aside that sin nature and said, I'm not giving in to this, right? There's a temptation. It's not easy, right? Here, we'll, we'll make it not spiritual. You're on a diet, right? And you're not allowed to eat the chocolate cake that's sitting on the counter. It's not easy to deny yourself the chocolate cake, right? But stop pretending it is. It's exhausting. So we can't camp there either. But the other problem we have is too many people camp out in where we're going, right? You got your head in the clouds and, oh, Jesus, yay. But you're missing that there's a whole world of other activities going on here that he's called you to get to, to be obedient to. That or even worse, you know, you're so busy focused on, I'm a child of God, I don't struggle with sin. Forget that, there's nothing in me that needs crucified because I'm a new creation. And the whole while, that giant just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because you won't cut the head off. 
We've got to have a full view of this full gospel. And thankfully for you all, I drew a picture for you so that you can. It is always a wonderful day when you get to witness my artwork. There it is. Isn't that good? I even gave Jesus red eyes because Revelation says he has eyes of fire, right? It's not because he's a zombie. It's because he has eyes of fire. So there it is. The old self is where we are coming from. And we are walking with Jesus. And look, you can see, out. If those of you in the back, you really got to squint hard. I am holding Jesus' hand. Ladies and gentlemen, don't let go of his hand. The second you let go of his hand, here's the thing, guys. Jesus will never let go of you. Jesus will never let go of you. But I have the option to wiggle away from him. Right? It's like those parents with their kids at the zoo who have their kids on the leash, right? And everybody's always like, oh, your dog house trained, right? Making jokes, but that's because they don't have kids. Because once they have kids, they'll totally understand why those parents have their kids on a leash. But we got to stay on the leash. You can take it off. You are given that free will to take it off and go chase after things you shouldn't chase after. But as long as you are holding on to him, as long as you are walking with the spirit, guys, God's word promises you will not sin. Do you want to not sin? Hold on to him. His word promises us. Guys, God doesn't give us promises that he doesn't intend to keep. But we've got to stay plugged into him. Fact of the matter is, some of us are farther along that spectrum than others. Some of us are not that far removed from our old self. Feels like it was just yesterday that we were old self. Maybe for some of us it was just yesterday that we fell back into that old self. Others of us are closer to Zion than others. But can I tell you something? Where you are on that spectrum is not a badge of honor. You got that? Just because you look back and say, oh man, I'm light years to where I used to be. That's good. That is good. But if for one second you stop living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, you go right back to square one. Right back to that sin nature. That pride starts to well up, right? And we fall into the trap. If you are on that spectrum, that space between where we all are, you must fight. Church, we must fight. We must press onward. And Christian, the only way that God has called you to fight is in complete surrender and dependence upon him. That is your weapon. So Gospel House, let's fight. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.